Welcome to Will We Make It Out Alive? I'm Amy, the Poop Detective. And I'm Jen, the Magical Mapper. Welcome to Episode 4, Why Did the Cat Cross the Road? In this episode, we will learn more about two-legged animals, wildlife crossings, the Union Tool, and I-90 Wildlife Watch. So before we get started with this episode, I have a little update for you. Remember when I talked about C&P's hand dipping? Mm. Uh, well, I heard back, and I thought you might be interested to know that they do plan to continue their tradition, even though they're huge, crazy germaphobes, and I told them that story. They don't plan on eating afterwards, however. Ever again? Probably ever again. That makes or sense. Or until they sanitize their hands thoroughly. So I just wanted to update you on that. Lovely. You know, Amy, because we're talking about wildlife in this episode, I think I should quickly tell my two-legged animal story. But not a quick funny line? No. Okay. A whole story. Okay. So I went backpacking several years ago at Shai Shai Beach, which is on the northwest coast of Washington, uh, near Nia Bay, on the ocean. So my friends and I hiked in a few miles and set up camp just above the beach in a little camp clearing in the woods. It was a bit dark when we got there, so I couldn't really see where I was setting up my tent, but it was flat, off the trail, and out of the fire, so check. Good enough, right? Well, I woke up in the middle of the night to scratching noises about like midway up the side of my tent, and mm -hmm. they, yeah, they kept moving around like to different sides of the tent, like there was this two-legged animal out there. I mean, I could tell they were being made by an animal and it was like moving around the tent trying to like scratch, 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 trying to get in. You probably had something delicious in there, like your food. Probably. Or candy. Probably. I like to... Uh, sleep with candy sleep with when candy. you're backpacking. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. You know how to backpack. Yes. And I knew it had to be a two-legged animal because of like where its claws were scratching on the tent. And as it was moving around, it was always at the same level, about like halfway up the tent. So um, it was like kind of too far up to be like right off the ground, like where a four-legged animal would scratch. And I was just racking my brain, trying to think of a two-legged animal so I could decide how scared I should be. Because if it was like a, a cute little two-legged animal, then I, I could like go back to sleep. But Like a tiny bear? Mm-hmm. But if it was like a scary two-legged animal, then... I really needed to be worried. Like a cougar? Mm, yeah. Not a two-legged animal? No. So, yeah, the only two-legged animal I could think of was a bear. That makes sense. But, you know, bear, it, like the animal that I was hearing was too small to be a bear. It was like a baby bear. I don't know. It's too small to be a baby Maybe bear. Maybe it even. wanted to come and get some milk. Maybe. So, uh, I just couldn't think of... Another two-legged animal, so I just like couldn't sleep. Like a all squirrel, night. maybe. No, those are four-legged animals, Amy. What if they stood up on their hind two legs? Yeah, and it would have been too, too. Uh, what about if it was one of those white rabbit hairs that we saw mm, on the BBC mm -hmm. Earth show the exactly. other day? Those guys stood up on their two legs. Yeah, that was freaky. That was super freaky. So I couldn't sleep all night, and when it was finally morning, I got out of the tent and kind of looked around, and I realized. Oh, I'd set my tent up like right in a bush. <laughs> so, uh, the, the scariest two-legged animal of all. Right. The so bush animal. The bush animal. I mean, I'm really glad that you made it out alive. I know, me too. So, like, the wind had been blowing, so it was causing all the branches to scratch my tent. 
And also, like, I told my friends the story and they were just laughing so hard at me before informing me, me that a bear is actually a four-legged animal. Whoa, newsflash. Uh, in my defense, um, like, my brain doesn't really function well when I'm sleep-deprived and I was kind of picturing, like, Yogi Bear. And also, what about Petals, the black bear? You're showing your age now. Petals? Remember him from New Jersey? Nope. What? He's like famous on social media, this black bear that walks around on two legs because his front paws are injured. Never heard of him before. Well, I'll post some videos. Good idea. On our website so you can see Petals. He was killed, though, a few years ago by a hunter. Hmm. But black bears can actually walk around on their hind legs, and they look freakishly human when they do it. So can squirrels. Uh, They don't look as freakishly, creepily human, though. No. What about raccoons? Their hands look freakishly human. And they can stand on two feet. Yeah, whatever. And they could have scratched your tent all night long. Mm. And... They are notorious for being little bastards out at the coast. They are, that's true. Well, in, in researching this episode, I did discover that Washington has like all sorts of species that I didn't even know that we had. For example, the wolverine. Like I had no idea that those lived in Washington. Mm. I kind of was picturing that they were from Australia. Wow. Yeah, yeah. so biology, not Jen's strong suit. Well, then but I geography is, so that's weird. Yeah, well, I mean, I kind of realized later that I was actually confusing them with wallabies. Oh, I mean, yes, those are a little Wolverine, bit different. Mm-hmm. wallaby, both start with W, w mm-hmm. both three syllables. Yeah, so. Totally not your fault. No, not at all. Why did the deer cross the road? To hit my car, I'm pretty sure. I was able to hit one deer, and then a deer hit me. Wait, a deer hit you? Yes. Both of which did quite a bit of damage to my car, but thankfully no one was injured in either accident. The deer, not even? Well, I don't know if the deer made it out alive in either case, honestly. It's funny how we've integrated pavement into our lives. How we have built them, like veins and arteries across the landscape. Roads, they serve a purpose of getting us a little more quickly from one place to another. You're getting really poetic over there. I know, I'm not really sure what happened here. (laughs) And while many of these roads and paved areas are located in urban areas, roads also cut across rural areas and more uninhabited areas. Really? Well, it says inhabited, but I know I meant uninhabited. (laughs) Not that I'm reading. No. And they, this is just, this is how I would speak right off the, right right Uh off my head. I'm just like, oh, yes. So poetic. Yes. Yeah. So the, the roads, they cut through critical wildlife migration areas. And, well, in the past, they've used large culverts and bridges as undercrossing on roadways for quite some time. Only recently have we begun building bridges over highways for wildlife to cross. That's pretty cool. Some wildlife, like elk, they don't like going under structures, so they don't really like using those undercrossings. So um, having a bridge across gives them a wider range of sight and Mm -hmm. makes them more likely to cross over these structures. Recently, there was a new wildlife crossing bridge constructed over I-90 near Snoqualmie Pass. Cool. Washdot employees tweeted after the first wildlife was seen crossing the bridge. Nice. Our camera captured the first image of hashtag wildlife using the new I-90 overcrossing east of at Snoqualmie Pass. 
This coyote safely crossed the highway, avoiding traffic, anvils, Acme rockets, and roadrunners, <laughs> excited to what other species cross. I mean, pretty surprising for government workers, right? right? They wow. have a sense of humor, apparently. That is pretty funny. I mean, that. I mean, I can see that government workers would have a sense of humor, but no, like the underlings, but like the that the higher ups would actually let them post something funny. Yeah, no, and yeah. it's not. They've done some other really funny things, actually. Oh, um, like that map. The one up in Seattle when they had like I the president the was there. It was Pride Weekend and maybe Seafair or something else. I think and it, had, it was, there was a Seahawks game, a Mariners game. It was like hand drawn, but for on a computer. Yeah, my um, favorite ever. Cartoons. I will see if we can find that too, oh, and yeah. also post that up to our website. It's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, check out our website for video of uh, the coyote crossing the wildlife bridge. Cool. Whack fact, did you know that wildlife crossing structures exist on all continents except Antarctica? What? There's none on Antarctica? I know. Boring. So weird. Several European countries have used crossing structures for over 60 years. Wow. Mm-hmm. For the crossing here in Washington, before the bridge even had vegetation on it, the deer were already using it. Cool. Uh, the crossing is over an area that was recently widened six lanes on I-90 east of Snoqualmie Pass. It's noticeable due to the two archways built over the newly constructed roadway. They had planned for dozens of wildlife undercrossings and three wildlife overcrossings in the 15 miles between Hayak and Easton. Hmm. Whack fact. Norway is currently constructing a bee highway. What the heck? Do you know what that is? No. It's a path like through the city that includes flowers and green roofs and things like that all along a stretch where so they can find food as they're traveling and they're doing it to protect endangered wild bees. Wow, that is crazy cool Isn't and it? unfortunately very needed. I know. Yeah. So for larger animals, Canada is the leader in wildlife crossings with mm. over 20 years of studies. Um, they've actually found that mortality rates uh, for animals that cross the road have been have been reduced by more than 80 percent. Wow. Banff National Park has 38 undercrossings and six overcrossings. Uh, we'll probably post a picture of that up on our website. They've got some pretty sweet looking wildlife stuff there. Cool. And there are actually, you know, some people are probably like, wow, at what cost did we create these overcrossings for wildlife? But there are real-life cost savings in vehicle-animal collisions. Oregon's Department of Transportation completed two wildlife underpasses in 2012 on Highway 97 south of Bend, which reduced animal versus car incidents by 86% in the area. Wow, that's amazing yeah it's pretty cool they use these tall fences for several miles alongside the highway that are really hard for animals to get across Mm -hmm. to kind of funnel the animals to the crossings Hmm. um odot even has observed a cougar using the underpass to hunt but they they didn't say what right you were hunting (laughs) down there jen creepy don't tell anyone but they didn't say (laughs) what it was hunting Probably a hot hitchhiker. <laughs> That's what Cougar Jen is looking for. Exactly. Hey, I mean, cougars are cats, which is what I am. So, yeah. Whack fact. 
The longest wildlife crossing in the world is in the Netherlands. It's over half a mile long and crosses a highway, a railroad, and a golf course. Wow. In addition to the benefits to people that drive on the roads by having reduced collisions with these animals, things like the mule deer population is actually about half what it was 20 years ago in Oregon. So Hmm. they've seen real declines and probably really need some help. So they've seen declines since the... No, no, no. In the past oh, 20 okay. years. They, their right. population has dropped. And then they put it in the wildlife crossing. That just went in in 2012. Oh, okay. That's not 20 gotcha. years. I know it feels like I it. I mean, but math is hard, Amy. How many is, times do I have to tell you that? I know. We, pretty much every episode we have to go through I this think, and yeah. make ourselves look really smart. Mm-hmm. So why did the deer cross the road? Because they're actually crossing the road to get to their summer or winter grounds. And apparently their dwindling populations need a little extra help getting across the road. Wildlife crossings are designed to connect vital habitats and allow safe movement of animals across busy roads. Hmm. Will the wildlife make it out alive? Probably not. As has been recently pointed (laughs) out, apparently none of us do. Yeah. But there are things that we can do that might help them stick around with us a little bit longer. Hmm. Well, I hope the wildlife make it out alive, like, in the bigger picture. I mean, that's kind of what we mean by all of this nonsense. Yeah. Not just a single individual, because we are. Right. I believe we're all mortals. I have no evidence that says otherwise, so. You said you weren't mortal. Well, that's different. Okay. And top secret. We're definitely going to have to edit that part out. (laughs) Okay, well, let's switch topics then. Good idea. Let's talk about data, because I love data. You usually fall asleep during this part. I might fall asleep. (laughs) So I talked about geoprocessing on the blog, but haven't really explained it on the podcast yet. So let me take just a little brief moment to explain it. And what geoprocessing is, is basically it functions as a set of tools and a framework to perform analysis, modeling, and management of your location data. What does that mean in English? So it's a set of tools that you can use to ask questions of your data. And get answers. Mm-hmm. And Amy, I already know that you're sleeping I'm over there. I'm obviously not <laughs> sleeping. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been interacting in this okay. way. But nice try, Jen. Well, anyway, I'm going to try to make this fun. <laughs> Sorry, I was sleeping. Yeah, I'm going to try to make this fun in a minute. Not yet. Not yet. Mm. So last episode, I talked about the buffer tool, which is actually a geoprocessing tool. And today I want to talk about another one, and it's called the union tool. Is this because there's some kind of wedding undertones to this episode? No. Cougar Jen hasn't uh, caught any prey yet. Mm, Yeah. Too sad. Yeah, but... The union tool basically takes two or more polygon layers, and polygons are just kind of like areas, and it chops them up, chop, 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 based on common attributes. So, for example, if you had a parcel of land with two soil types on it, it would split the parcel in two based on the two soil types, and each new polygon would contain the attributes of the parents. One polygon would have the first soil type and the parcel number. The second polygon would have the second soil type, but the same parcel number. 
So this is a useful step in performing analysis, such as determining suitable habitat for a particular species. Let's say you're determining where suitable habitat for the magical mapper cat, which is a new species I just made up. And you know that the magical mapper cat doesn't like urban areas or deserts, but prefers rural forested landscapes. From this, you know that one of the GIS layers you're going to need for your analysis is land cover. Another thing you know about the magical mapper cat is that it must live on land within 20 miles of a saltwater shoreline. Ooh, I like that. Mm -hmm. For this, you'll need a shoreline layer, and you could use the buffer tool to buffer the shoreline by 20 miles, clip out just the land within that area, add an attribute of like present, not present, something like that, and use the resulting map layer as your second input into the union tool. And of course, if you forgot how to use the buffer tool, check out our last episode. Exactly. So to keep this relatively simple, the only other factor the magical mapper cat requires is a large enough area with a soil type ideal for growing fruits and vegetables because the magical mapper cat doesn't eat meat. But it's weird because the magical mapper cat also doesn't eat vegetables. Uh, fruits and vegetables. <laughs> for this, you'll need a soils layer and you'll need information on which soil types are ideal for growing a garden. The next step in your analysis would be to union your three layers together, the three layers being land cover, shoreline land buffer, and soils. Once the union tool cuts your polygons down and adds them together, you can then query your new union's layer for polygons that are at least a certain size, let's say five acres, is in a forested environment, and has soils of vegetable growing power. And like I said, you'd actually need to know what the specific types of soils were, unless your soils layer already had a vegetable growing suitability field. So this is just a simple imaginary example, but perhaps you can imagine a wildlife biologist performing similar analysis for the wolverine, for example. Or a wallaby if you're in Australia. I mean, exactly. Starts with a W. Uh, three syllables, same thing. <laughs> So in order for the wolverine population to grow, they need access to more land, which is only split by an interstate highway. So how to bridge the gaps between habitat and increased connectivity, perhaps by building wildlife crossing? Whoa, way to bring it all back. Thank you. The next thing we're going to talk about here is a little bit of your citizen science opportunity when it comes to all this under crossing, over crossing stuff. So the I-90 pass upgrades are integrating all sorts of new wildlife safety features. And another project that's running is to document the wildlife along I-90. Basically, they're putting in these wildlife crossings and they're just trying to figure out, okay, what's crossing and where and Ooh. what are people hitting or not hitting. And so the I-90 Wildlife Watch program aims to collect data both from watchdog cameras and from people that use the area. Check out our website for a link to see photos submitted by others of wildlife in the area or submit your own photos of wildlife. Ooh, so when we head over I-90 next spring, that for can no be, reason whatsoever, for no reason, no reason, that can be my new fun game is to watch for wildlife. Right. Since the first phase of construction is complete, monitoring the wildlife is important to understand the effectiveness of these enhanced wildlife crossing projects. 
If you're looking for something a little bit more adventurous when it comes to documenting, then you might want to check out the Wildlife Monitoring Program through Conservation Northwest. They use volunteers to place and maintain wildlife cameras in remote areas in Washington and southern BC. Oh, cool. This helps scientists better understand wildlife frequency and abundance. So where they're at and how many are there. They currently have over 100 volunteers that place cameras in these remote areas each year. And they also do a snow track uh, exercise in the Snoqualmie area of I-90. Their efforts documented the first wolf pup (gasps) born in Washington in nearly 80 years in the Metau Valley in 2008. Cool. And then they also were able to document wolves in the Tenaways, which is not all that far from Seattle, in 2011 and near Stevens Pass in 2015. Wow. They have also documented the return of the wolverines to the Cascade Mountains, which is part of where Jen got really confused about, well, why are there wolverines here since they belong in Australia? (laughs) Oh, wait, that's wallabies. Correct. (laughs) And then in 2016, after the reintroduction of fishers, little furry animals that are super cute and fairly ferocious, um, in the Cascades, their remote cameras caught them on the east side of Mount Rainier. Wow. Now, this project, if it's sounding kind of cool to you, you're not alone. It's got a ton of interest. And because of that, new volunteer opportunities are limited. If you can't get in on an awesome volunteer opportunity, then you can also consider a donation to help. Hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So either take some pictures or um, put some cameras out in the middle of Norrisville and document that wildlife. Nice. So. There you have it. The end of episode four. Why do cats cross the road? We hope you've laughed and learned your way through and that we've inspired cats and deer alike to better make it out alive. Today, we learned that bear are indeed two-legged animals. I don't know if that was one of the morals of our stories. Mm, Remember Patches or whatever his name was? No, still don't. (laughs) You will after you watch these videos. Can't wait. And when they scratch on your tent in the middle of the night, it is scary. We discussed why the deer crossed the road and why the cat crossed the road and what departments of transportation are doing to help the deer and other animals make it out alive. I told a story about GIS and we shared a little about how you can help document wildlife sightings by submitting photos or taking care of a remote camera in Washington or southern BC. So please join us next time for episode five, where we're going to talk about umbrellas in the desert. And I might have some dessert while we're talking about it. (laughs) This is our first week of releasing to Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, iPodder, maybe. Wherever you listen, we will be there. I will be cackling, and Jen will always be reminding us of some boring stuff. What? I mean, um, data. Ugh, rude. Please don't forget to rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, and let us know what you think at outalivepodcast.com or at facebook.com forward slash outalivepodcast. Thanks. Until next time. Will will we make it out alive? Signing off from... Amy, the poop detective. And Jen, the magical mapper.